All right, let's dive into the book of Colossians. Y'all ready for this? Y'all enjoying this series? I am loving this unhindered series. For those of you that are uh, just joining us, we've been on a series called Unhindered, where we have been going verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And while you're turning there, first of all, can I just say, man, ladies, did my wife not do an amazing job? Wow. I think it's way cool that both Jody and I are teaching the exact same scripture this weekend. I mean, come on now. I mean, there are 66 books in the Bible with a lot of chapters and verses in those books that we could have chose from. And let me just tell you, we did not talk about this. She had no idea that I was even doing this series on Colossians. It was a spirit-led thing, and so that really stirred my heart, and I love it when God does things like that. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit? Aren't you thankful for his leading in our lives? I know this, that without the Holy Spirit, I would be in trouble. Yeah, and you would be too, okay? And so um, you should be in Colossians by now. We're still in Colossians 1. Eventually, we'll go to Colossians 2. (laughs) But I want us to look at verse 15. Colossians 1.15 says, He, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now I want us to just hang out on this verse right here for just a minute. What does it mean when it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? Well, that means that Jesus perfectly reflects the nature, the character, and the essence of God the Father. And this is a foundational teaching that every Christian needs to know. Because when you want to know what God looks like, you need look no further than Jesus. And as I said earlier, Jesus perfectly reflects the nature, the character, and the essence of the Father. As a matter of fact, there was a, a point in the time when Philip came up to Jesus and he said to him in John chapter 14, 8, he says, Lord, show us the Father. And he says, and that will be enough for us. Now on the surface here, it would appear as if Philip is having this desire to know God on a greater level. But what he failed to realize was who it was that he was talking to. And so Jesus brought some clarity to his statement. In John 14, 9, Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still do not know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Which, by the way, that was the statement that caused the Jews to want to kill Jesus. Now, I'm highlighting this for the purpose of bringing a clear understanding to just exactly who Jesus is. Because Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a wise teacher. Jesus was and is the very image of the invisible God. And that's why Jesus said to Philip, Philip, if you want to see the Father, just look at me. Now, I understand that there are many of you that are here that are already aware of this truth. But you know what? Just earlier this week, I had a conversation with a couple different people, actually, 
whom I assumed that they would have surely been aware of a couple of fundamental things about the scripture. I was meeting with my neurologist. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I had brain surgery last year. And uh, one doctor said I had three months to live. Hallelujah. It's been almost two years now. Isn't God good? And so they, uh, yeah, I'm going to rejoice even if y'all don't. I'll do a dance. Come on now. But um, we, uh, I have to go in every six months just to kind of do a, a, a checkup and a scan and do MRIs. And by the way, the last one was awesome. It's ain't anything wrong with you, brother. Get out of here. We'll see you sometime next year. And so how awesome is that? Come on. Thank you, Lord. But at the end, he was giving me the results, and it was really good. And there was two neurologists in there, uh, one of them who's probably, I'm going to guess somewhere out around 32. The other one, uh, my neurologist, maybe around 67. And uh, I always offer to, to pray for my neurologist at the end of every time together. And uh, I say I offer, so I, I don't know that I so much ask as I just say, come here, brother, let me pray for you. And I just put, he's like, oh, okay. And, uh, but I think he's kind of used to it by now. But uh, we went ahead, and uh, I was praying over him. And when I got finished praying with him, he looked at me, and he said, hey, he said, did you know where the rainbow originally came from? And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> and I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. He said, yeah. He says, my wife just told me this a few weeks ago. But it's a promise from God that God will never flood the earth again. He said, did you know that? And, of course, I reminded him that I was a pastor. And uh, he said, I didn't know that. And then I'm sitting there thinking, wow. And I look over, and there's the young neurologist who's probably maybe about, I don't know, 32, like I said. And I said, you know that, right? I said, about the flood. He goes, no, I've never heard that before. So now you have a millennial and a boomer, both very smart people, doctors, but neither one of them had ever heard about the flood and God's promise of the rainbow was a sign that he would never flood the earth again. Now I tell you this because I can promise you that there are some listening to this story and what I just shared with you, that there are some even in this church right now that you didn't know that. That just now you became aware and said, huh, well, I didn't know that. So if you ever hear me teach something, and it's a truth that possibly many of you in this room have known from years or, or decades, great. Then amen me whenever I share it. But just know that on any given Sunday, there's going to be those who are going to walk through our doors that this is the first time that they have ever heard this truth. And as a pastor who is very much concerned with reaching them, I'm going to take the time to teach it, okay? Is it okay to lay that out there? Because I get these looks sometimes, and maybe it's just me, you know, when I lay out an elementary truth. I mean, some of y'all, I know you learned it 30 years ago, but there's someone that's in there that's holding on, and they're sponging it up, and it's transforming their life just like it transformed your life 30 and 40 years ago or 15 years ago or five years ago. Are you with me? Yes. As a matter of fact, let me just share a statistic with you that I came across this week, and especially in regards to what we're teaching today. Christianity Today, that's a publication, a nonprofit organization that writes articles. They conduct polls and things of that nature. They found that 37% of Christians, Christians, did not believe that Jesus existed before his birth in Bethlehem. Now, church, that number right there is staggering. And this poll wasn't taken 
from the secular world. It was taken from those who claim to attend church at least four times a month. Well, if that 37% would have read the exact verse that we're going over today, they would know the truth that Jesus existed before all things. Because right after what we read here, that he is the image of the invisible God, it goes on to say that he is the firstborn of all creation. What's that mean? Well, it means, first of all, that Jesus, he wasn't created as some mistakenly believe. Instead, it emphasizes his preeminence and authority over all creation. And of course, this right here would have been a language that the the church at Colossae would have completely understood because in Jewish culture, the term firstborn, that referenced the highest status and privilege in a family. And so whenever we say that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, we are declaring his supremacy and his sovereignty over the entire created order. Now, I want you to hang with me on this because it's important that you have a right understanding of who God is. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, and by the way, this is a scripture that you often hear quoted near Christmas time. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now, who's it talking about here? Come on, somebody. It's talking about Jesus. And it says, and the government shall be upon his Shoulder. That, that's the preeminence. I know that's a $2 theological word for you, but that's what that's talking about right here. It says, and his name shall be called. Now, pay attention, because if the prophet is about to tell you, like, some of his names, then listen to what it says. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting, wait, wait, Everlasting what? But there's a son born unto us, and then it says his name's going to be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Principate Apostle, for my Spanish folks, right? Now, does that sound like just a messenger that God created in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago? No, it's talking about Jesus, who is God. And it's important that we understand this because, watch this, I'm compelled as a pastor that like I've got that, that, that little natural marriage part where, you know, they talk about the five-fold ministry where the pastor and the teacher go hand in hand to teach you this because there are people in churches that do not realize that Jesus is God. It is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And again, it's absolutely vital for you to grab hold of this because the Muslims will teach you that Jesus is, is a prophet. Buddha will say that, Buddhists will say that he's, he's a wise teacher. Hindus even count him as, as one of their many gods. Jehovah Witnesses falsely say that he's Michael the Archangel. And Mormons believe that Jesus worked his way up to godhood, and oh, by the way, you could become a god too. But you see, there is but one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, three expressions of the Godhood, but one God. Not three gods, and not a being that worked their way up to Godhood. Jesus existed before all things, and all things exist through him and for him, which we'll get to here shortly in verse 16. 
Now back to where it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This truth needs to be taught. And the truth is this. Jesus was and is God in the flesh. Listen, this just isn't a a theological concept for scholars and theologians. This is the bedrock upon which we build our relationship with God. Like this truth lays the cornerstone of our faith. Now maybe you're wondering, but pastor, is it really that important whether Jesus existed before his birth in Bethlehem or whether he's the image of the invisible God? Yes! See, this truth, it's what profoundly shapes our understanding of God's love and his redemptive plan. As a matter of fact, it's what develops our identity as his children. I mean, when we grab hold of this truth, we begin to comprehend the depth of God's love for us. Why? Because God didn't just send a messenger. He came himself. He entered our human experience. Sharing in our joys and our sorrows. He walked our paths and felt our struggles. It's through Jesus that we see that we have a God who is not distant or detached, but one who's intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. He understands our sorrows. He rejoices in our joys, and he walks with us through the valleys and the mountaintops. Hebrews 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now this scripture right here has always hit me in the heart. Because God could have chose to design his redemptive plan Any way, I mean like countless ways, any way that he wanted to because he's God. But what did he choose to do? He chose to come to the earth in the same manner that you and I came. Born as a baby, growing up as a child, having experienced some of the same things that you and I have experienced, plus much, much more. He felt hunger and thirst. He knew what it was like to be rejected and experience betrayal and the sting of pain. He experienced the same temptations that we do every day, yet crucially, he never sinned. Now, how does that affect our relationship with him? Well, it does in every way. Because when we pray to Jesus, we aren't approaching a God who can't relate to our lives. We are coming before a compassionate Savior who knows exactly what it's like to walk in our shoes. Now, I don't know about you, but that right there just stirs my heart and my affection toward my Heavenly Father. Amen? I mean, to know that my Jesus experienced the full spectrum of emotion, of human emotion, and then he went out and beautifully demonstrated how to love unconditionally, to forgive relentlessly, and to serve selflessly, well, that right there, that's a God that I want to give my whole heart to. Amen? Friends, Jesus became Emmanuel, God with us. 
And then he gave us the promise of his precious Holy Spirit, who is not only with us, but as followers of Christ, his spirit now dwells within us. And it empowers us to reflect his nature and his character and his essence to the world around us. Now let's look to the next verse, Colossians 1, verse 16. It says, for by him all things were created. Now again, remember, this is talking about Jesus. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. We'll talk about that in a minute. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So let's just pause here for a minute. Paul is telling the Colossians that all things were created by Jesus. And then he goes on to clarify just exactly what that means. He says that Jesus created the heaven. He says that Jesus created the earth. And then he goes on to say that Jesus created both the visible and the invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now, what's all that mean? It means that Jesus created all of the things that you can see, but he also created all of the things that exist beyond our physical senses. This encompasses the things that aren't necessarily perceivable with our five senses. It means that Jesus created not only the things that, that you can see, but the things that you cannot see, they're even more real than what you can see, taste, touch, or smell. This includes things like spiritual beings, such as angels and demons. Now, if there's some of you here and you say, well, pastor, I don't believe in such thing as demons. Well, you know what? That just tells me that you've never raised teenagers. <laughs> if you know, you know. Hashtag, right? <laughs> But the point here is for you to recognize that there's more to this life than what you see. As a matter of fact, the unseen realm, the spiritual realm, that's part of the eternal. The things that our five senses can perceive, those things are temporary. Now, let me just get practical with all this because I know I've been throwing a lot of theological language your way, but you need to see how all of this right here hits home and hits where we live. You see, whenever we grab hold of the truth that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, not some distant deity, but God himself in human form, it transforms the way that we live. For example, it changes the way that we parent. You know why? Because it causes us to emphasize with our children's struggles, which leads to us becoming more compassionate parents. Listen, our youth, I know I was just giving my youth a hard time, but our youth are dealing with things that we never had to deal with at their age. I mean, a student can make a quick, senseless post on social media about another student and destroy that student's reputation just like that overnight. Look, hey, if we wanted to have that kind of exposure uh, at our age, <laughs> we had to climb to the top of a water tower with a can of spray paint, right? <laughs> Hello? And that was too much work. Plus, some of us are afraid of heights. But um, our youth, they're dealing with things that can have a profound effect on their mental health and their well-being. But if we as parents 
don't recognize that this battle that they're facing is a spiritual battle, then we'll start looking to the things of the world, which will never bring resolve. We'll let Big Pharma medicate their ki- our kids, thinking that that's the answer. But it's not the answer. It's actually part of the problem. You say, then what do we do, Pastor? Well, for starters, remember that Jesus is Lord over both the visible and the invisible. And as children of God, we have been given authority by God, which allows us to wage war in the heavenlies. Amen? We pray with the authority of heaven. We speak words of life over them. We stand in the gap with them, and we cover them. But now hear me on this, because what our Western world has done is to try and look for a practical solution to everything. But sometimes the only solution is to storm the gates of hell. You got to tell the devil, devil, you can't have my child. Devil, you can't have my marriage. Devil, you can't have my health. Listen, I'm not saying that there are things that we don't need to do in the natural, but I'm saying that there are just some breakthroughs that they're only going to happen through the supernatural. Y'all catching this this morning? I remember whenever the disciples came to Jesus and They were trying to cast out a demon out of a young boy. Maybe you know the story, but they were unable to. But then Jesus came along, prayed for him, took authority over that spirit, and the demon left him. Well, afterwards, the disciples, they came up to Jesus, and they asked him, they said, Jesus, how come whenever we prayed for this demon, nothing happened, but you come along and pray for him, and the demon leaves? And then Jesus said to them, this kind comes out only by fasting and prayer. Now, church, watch this. This is just but one example where we see in Scripture that if we want to see real change, it's going to require approaching the battle with spiritual means. And if you're not sure what that means, go home and read Ephesians 6 where it talks about the armor of God. Because watch this, a lot of people don't even realize that there is a battle, or at least they don't realize who the battle is with. I'll tell you this, the battle isn't with the public school system, right? That's not the problem. The battle isn't with the Democrats or the Republicans. The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It says against principalities, against rulers of darkness. And it's important that you know this or else you will be fighting a battle that you're not equipped for. Now, are those entities that I just mentioned influenced by the spirit realm? Well, you better believe it. Some for good and some for evil. But it's critical that we discern when a situation requires our attention in the physical world and when it demands intervention in the supernatural realm. And I do believe that there is a time for both. I think I've already highlighted the fact that the supernatural realm, there's a time for that. But, you know, there are also times things that need to be addressed in the natural, and that's the other side, right? Like, for example, a lot of problems could be resolved by simply limiting your child's screen time. I promise you. I promise you. That's a key 
to someone. Somebody's needing to hear that. My spirit's stirring right now. A parent needs to hear that right now. You need to cut back your kids' screen time. The kids that are saying, dear God, don't let the pastor say that. But that's because they're addicted. That's what an addict will do when you take something away from them. And kids, I love you, but if you can't let it go, you have an addiction. And you don't want to be addicted all the days of your life because you know what I've found is true about addiction? Addiction will bleed over into other, other area of your life as well. Or a lot of problems could be cured just by changing what a child eats. Or for that matter, what an adult eats. But here's what we see in the world today. Watch this. We give a child a drink that has red number 40 in it, food coloring. Then we wonder why they're hyperactive. And so we take them to the doctor who medicates the heck out of them, thinking that that's the answer. And so we go and we put Johnny, little Johnny, on the prayer chain. But the problem isn't spiritual. It's actually physical. The real battle that we're talking about here just might be fought in the kitchen and the fast food and the grocery stores. Now, hopefully you see the balance to what I'm teaching you here because there's a time where we need to pray and look to the supernatural intervention of the power of God to heal and transform lives. But it's also vital to remember that God has given us wisdom and knowledge to address many of these things. And you say, well, I don't know what those things are. Well, then learn. My goodness, the answer to some of y'all's problems is sitting on a book in your bookshelf already that you've not read. Come on. Not to mention, there's a lot of good sound wisdom in that Bible. Just saying. Sometimes... It's as simple as us just making healthier choices, eating right, and taking care of our bodies. Now, why is all this important? It's important because our understanding of these battles directly impacts how we engage with the world around us. See, we're to address physical things physically with good sound wisdom and judgment, but we're to address spiritual things spiritually and Sometimes it will require fasting. I know a fast is a four-letter word to some of you, but it just might be the breakthrough that you need. Are you hearing me on that? Now let's look at the last part of verse 16. It says, all things have been created through him. I think we've already established that truth, but then it says, and for him. Now, this right here, is really the part that stirs my heart. Because my existence as part of God's creation is not a random accident. It's not a mere coincidence. You see, you, me, and every one of us, we were intentionally created through Jesus and for Jesus. Now that truth right there, like I said, that causes purpose to rise up in my heart. Because I know that my life is not about me just going through the motions. It's about more than me just checking off my to-do list. I have been created by God and for God. And watch this. He takes great pleasure in his creation. God takes great pleasure in you. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's workmanship, his handiwork, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what's that mean? That means before the foundation of the earth, God had a plan for your life. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 139, it says that all of your days were written in his books before yet one of them comes to pass. So whenever you wake up each morning, remember that you are a part of a grand design, a divine masterpiece created by the creator himself. You are not here by chance or by accident, but your existence was part of God's plan. See, understanding this truth, church, it changes the way that we approach each day because it means that every moment, Every decision, every interaction has a greater purpose. We're not merely just going through the motions of life, but we're walking in the good works that God has prepared and purposed for us. I mean, wow! What an incredible privilege and responsibility that we have to live with this divine intention and to seek His will. And to be the reflection of Jesus in a world that desperately needs his love. You see, you were created through him and for him. And your life has immeasurable value and purpose. So embrace it. Live it. And watch how God shines through you in unimaginable ways. Amen? Come on, y'all stand with me. Do y'all receive God's word this morning? Stand your feet with me if you would. We're going to have a time of communion here in a little bit, so I'm coming a little short to allow for that. Listen, I know that today I predominantly was sharing a message that was for Christians, but I hope you caught the truth that you were created by God and for God. And today you can choose to step into that purpose. But it all starts with an acknowledgement that you need a Savior. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now watch this. If that was the only verse that we had in the Bible, like that would be bad news right there in and of itself, right? Because falling short of God's glory, which we've all done, means that we don't get to go to heaven. But instead, hell. But thankfully, Jesus paid the price for our sin. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love towards us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But watch this. And that's good news, by the way. Come on, I said, that's good news. But watch this. You've got to choose that gift of salvation. What does that mean, Pastor? That means you've got to repent of your sins. That means that you've got to trust God and live a life that is God-centered, and he will forgive you. And friend, let me tell you this. The scripture says that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord, they would be saved. Now watch this, because that word saved, it's misinterpreted by a lot of people, particularly the world. Because we think that just saved just means we're going to get to go to heaven. Man, that's wonderful. Thank God we're going to get to go to heaven. But you know what? That word salvation, it's a Greek word, sozos. And if you look 
what it means, it doesn't just mean that you're going to get to go to heaven one day. Yes, that's part of it. But you know what it actually means? It means to be whole and to be complete. You see, God doesn't just say, oh, hey, I'm giving you the ticket to heaven. Stick it in your back pocket like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, and one day you're going to get to get in. No. God wants to start a, a work in your life now, and it's even beginning now. And faithful is he who began that work to bring it about to completion. But what we have to do is live a life surrendered to God, recognizing our need for him, staying humble and a yielded vessel. And if we will allow the Spirit of God to come in and to do that work in us, friends, oh, how he will heal you. Oh, how he will use you. You see, that's what salvation means. So when we say, I'm saved, that's not just me saying, hey, I'm going to heaven. I surely am. But you know what? I'm saying I'm whole. I'm complete. Because all of my broken pieces in my life, I couldn't put them back together again. Come on, Humpty Dumpty said on the wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. You've heard me say it before. Why we look into the king's horses and the king's men, we need to look to the king. Jesus can make you whole. Jesus can take those shattered, broken pieces of your life, and he can put it back together again. And so if you're here this morning and you're broken, you ended up in a good place because God saw to it that a minister of the gospel is standing up here and looking you and you and you right in the eyes and saying, he loves you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him they would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. You know what everlasting life means? Not the moment you die, but the moment you believe. So I want to ask who is here this morning, and you say, I believe, and I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've tried putting my faith in the things of this world. I've tried putting it in. Maybe you've put it in celebrities. Maybe you've put it in a sports team. Maybe you've put it in your job. Maybe you've put it in a friend. Maybe you've put it in yourself but none of it's worked. And friend, I'll tell you, it won't. Like if you're saying, hey, I'm doing good, guess what? That's a counterfeit that you might have got to pass a few times, but eventually it's going to come crashing down. I assure, I assure you, I'm saving you the crash. Jesus is the one and the only one who can heal you, who can fill you, who can save you now that you know what that word means. And so if you say, I want that salvation, I want Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up right now. Because I know that, yeah, hey, praise God. Come on. I love that. Somebody said, yeah. I'm, who else? Who else? You're here. There's some of you that's here that you've been in church for a long time, but you've really never fully surrendered your life to God. Like you believe that Jesus is Lord, but you've like truly never repented of your sin. Friend, can I just tell you what repentance means? It doesn't just mean I'm sorry. It means that you do a 180 and you go the other direction and you change your mind. And the reason you change your mind is because you believe that God is better. You believe that he has something better than what the world has to offer. What profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul? Friend, Jesus is everything you will ever need. So if there's anyone else, I, I can see a few hands that went up. Anyone else that wants to join and say, I'm in on that. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. We're going to all confess our need for a Savior right now. Anyone else want to join in with those that says, hey, I'm in. Man, there's no better time than today. The Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. 
Somebody says, well, I'm not sure I want to make that choice today. I think I'm going to think about it. Watch this. An indecision is still a decision. It's a no, by the way. An indecision is a no. You, friend, are not promised that you'll have this opportunity again. You say, man, that's fear-mongering. Chris, no, I'm just a realist because I shared this message with one of my best friends one time, and it was the last time I ever saw him, and he died. So don't tell me that you're guaranteed another 70 years or 50 years or whatever you got left. Friend, we're not promised the rest of this day. And God has given you that opportunity right now to be made righteous in his eyes because that's what Jesus does. When we trust the price that he paid for his spilled blood and the forgiveness of our sin, we become righteous before him. We become in right standing with God. And so for those of you that say, I want that. I surrender to that. I give my life to that. I want you to pray with me right now. Those of you that are watching this online, you can join in with us. We're going to all confess Jesus as Lord together. Saints of God, many of you whom I know have prayed this prayer, join in with us. Pray this out loud from the bottom of your heart. Pray, Lord Jesus, I know that I was born a sinner in need of a Savior. And so I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave, just as your word says. And now I want to live my life to know you and to make you known. In Jesus' name. Amen.